Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Colts First Impressions podcast. The Colts get off of their three-game losing streak. They beat the Panthers 27-13 today here in Charlotte. Nate and I are recording this very late. Uh, these are usually the ones that get punchiest. There are not a lot of these this year because it's mostly 1 o'clock games. Um, but a late afternoon game today, uh, really a game dominated by the defense. Um, and, and a game that I, I don't know... I don't know if you can draw a lot of might uh, this might be stepping on the last category here, but I don't know if you can draw a lot of big sweeping conclusions from this game. No, I don't. I, I think that's a pretty fair statement. I mean, it's a game where it's two very struggling teams. I mean, the Panthers had gotten their first win last week, but they're the last is they only win the season. They're one and six. Colts had lost three in a row, and it was like. It was a get-right opportunity for one of these teams, and we'll see how much they got right. But it feels like um, it was a – I don't know. We'll get into it with some of the categories, but it didn't feel like uh, the type of performance to make too, too much out of. There was some very nice things to see from the Colts end, especially on the defense. I do think they got right in some ways um, that have to do with the opponent too. But – it was just a, it was a team. I, I think a moment where a team just really needed to win and needed to to break out of a slump on that side of the ball, and they were able to do it. And you know, the big picture stuff, I don't think it's necessarily solved with it. But for this moment and in this team on this night, they needed a win like this, and they got it. And so, you know, it, it, it's at least something to move this in the right direction, get a team to four and five, and make you feel like you're in the mix of it. Uh, you know, and fit in kind of a start to fixing some of the issues that got you in this place. Yeah, to put put in perspective uh, real quick, because I don't know if this really fits in the categories. Um, at, at four and five, the Colts are still two and a half games back of Jacksonville for the division lead. Um, that and really three and a half back since they since Jaguars hold the tiebreaker. Uh, the Basically, the entire AFC North, that's not the Baltimore Ravens, is in the wild card spots right now at five and three. They're a game and a half in front of the Colts. Um, at four and five, the Colts are currently 11th in the AFC. Um, there, are, there are nine teams in the AFC as we sit here talking right now that are over 500. There is another team, the Houston Texans are 500. And then the Colts and, and the Raiders sit at four and five. So um, it is a crowded AFC field, but it, the Colts have a obviously have a very gettable schedule. So if if they were going to keep those hopes alive, they had to win today. They do. We'll get into the categories. Uh, as always, we start with hero of the game. I think there's two pretty obvious ones here. Uh, I'll let you pick yours first, and then I'll I'll do the, do the next one. 
Well, we both wrote on these two guys, so it's probably most natural for us to split it that way. So I'll go with Kenny Moore the second. He had a historic game, first time ever that a Colts player has had two pick sixes in a single game. And they were long ones. They're uh, 115 yards total, which at times felt like more passing yards than either team was going to put up. Uh, Kenny did that on two plays. And really, if you think about the moments when those came, you know, both times it kind of felt like the Panthers were were going to make this something to sweat out for the Colts. Both times they were down 10. They crossed midfield into, uh, you know, into scoring range or, or they were getting into field goal range. And if they make it a one score game, they can start to put the pressure back on an offense that they had been really stopping at that point in the game. And both times Kenny Moore came up with the play, took it back to the house. It ended up scoring two times as many touchdowns as his offense. Uh, basically he had his, he basically matched or outscored both the Colts, the rest of the Colts team and the Panthers, uh, which is pretty impressive. And to me, it's just sort of a culmination of what this season has becoming for Kenny Moore, which is a total bounce back year. He looks like the guy he was two years ago when I got on this beat and he was the pro bowler and watch paint man of the year. And it's just this sort of like energetic force both in the locker room and out on the field. And it's always come through splash plays for him. And last year it was so hard to get it. It's amazing to think he didn't pick off a single pass in 12 games last year. Uh, this year he already has two. Arguably he could have a third – or he already has three. Arguably could have a fourth pick for when he dropped uh, – or had it ruled incomplete against the Browns. But today was like they needed some player to step up with some of these absences – on the defensive side of the ball, someone had to come be the star and kind of lift this defense out of a rut. And I thought Kenny Moore did that in a pretty phenomenal way. Yeah, you start looking at his uh, his season so far: three three interceptions, uh, a sack and a half, um, and then uh, I think he's uh, he's close to sixty tackles now, and seven tackles for loss. It's it's been a it, this is like you said this is this is the Kenny Moore that that Colts fans saw prior to last year before um, the fit issues in the defense he's he's been he's been what what you expect from him um, which has obviously pretty ne- been pretty necessary in a secondary that has struggled at times uh, this season and struggled at times today too um, here are the game for me really easy DeForest Buckner. Um, the, the thing that people kept saying was he set the tone today. Um, if we've got any Shorzy watchers out there, uh, the, you know, that the, the, the hockey team, the Sudbury Blueberry Bulldogs is big on setting the tone. And DeForest Buckner set the tone in the first couple series with um, some just like he just it was very, very clear. He was over, the interior of the Carolina offensive line was overmatched against Buckner. And he's got five sacks now. I think he's at 36 tackles. Um, six tackles for loss. He also batted two passes today uh, against Bryce Young. It, I think, I, I really think, and this is kind of what I wrote about, I really think that that we all take Daryl Forrest Buckner for granted um, and maybe don't realize how good he is. I think the NFL at large doesn't realize how good, he it, how good he is. I don't think that's his fault. I think that's the Colts' fault for not being good um, because a lot of the other best defensive tackles either play in an enormous market or uh, in the case of Chris Jones, play on a team that's in the Super Bowl every year. So 
Uh, I think that's more on the Colts than it is on Buckner, but I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think people realize around the league just how good he is um, on a week in, week out basis, especially when you think about the fact that he's basically been the far and away most obvious player to double team the entire time he's been here in his career with, in Indianapolis. So uh, I think, I really think that, you know, provided he's still here next year, and even if, even if he's not, I think you have to like think back, like the way you need to think about DeForest Buckner is, um, one of the best defenders in Indianapolis Colts history. Probably the best defensive tackle in Indianapolis Colts history. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if people are are realizing that yet. But that's that's what he's been for them. Um, and and just there was a lot of other hero of the game type stuff from him today. Like I walked in the locker room. Um, you guys had Kenny Moore at the podium in the interview room, and I, I had it in the locker room because I was writing about Buckner. And when I first got in there, they were shouting out all the guys who had their first sack or first interception of the uh, of their careers today. And Buckner was leading that on a day that he, you know, he destroyed everybody. Um, he he's the leader for the defensive line. He leads by example. Um, he does lead by advice sometimes when players ask it. Uh, I, I just think I just think he's probably underappreciated, given given the Colts' lack of success. But that's not his fault. He's been incredible pretty much every year he's been here. Yeah, if you're looking back over the last four or five years, uh, back to when he was in San Francisco to now, if we put Aaron Donald in his own stratosphere among defensive tackles, after that stratosphere, I'd put DeForest Buckner up there with anybody. And it's that total package that you're getting from him is the pass rush, the run defense, the impact plays, the way he affects the game with his length in the face of quarterbacks the way he gets in their heads like we saw today with Bryce Young really looking skittish early in the game rushing throws uh reacting real poorly the second that that Buckner was getting through there and then you add in all that other sort of intangible teammate stuff uh you know I think back to a moment when just a few weeks ago Colts lost in Jacksonville it was that game where they didn't allow many yards but all the turnovers ended up piling up into points and the first thing he wanted to bring up was that he had an offsides penalty in the first drive. Like this is a guy that just walks the walk all the time, and you don't see it in that many players. Uh, there's other star players that when they're not performing like the star or uh, things are not going their way, they 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 have a harder time being that day in and day out teammate model guy. And I mean, not that the force has ever dipped in his play but he he shows this model all the time and he's what i've always liked about him is he's just as happy to celebrate the guys he sets up for plays you know even if he's the one to do kind of doing the heavy lifting since he gets double teamed all the time and he gets the attention of opposing lines and today was just a colossal mismatch you know i had heard that going into it um just studying the panthers about just the the backup left guard in there in a kind of athletically limited center the interior of their line is just a problem and you can mix that with a young quarterback that's been some of the issues for the panthers this year and deforest wrecked that game from the from the onset and i thought he really there are two heroes i thought paired pretty perfectly well where you had uh buckner's pressure in the face of bryce young forcing these rush decisions with this uh headsy ball hawk uh, you know at the nickel spot feasting and also covering, you know, their, their one thing that they have that's steady in that offense for the Panthers is Adam Thielen. And that 
that combination was so dominant today. It was able to overcome not having Grover Stewart, not having Zaire Franklin, you know, some of the struggles at outside corner. This was a defense that was really uh, going through it coming into this game. They needed stars to lift them out of it. And those two combined to do something pretty spectacular. And I, I think it gives you some hope for uh, the rest of the season where they're not going to face offenses nearly as, you know, as struggling as the Panthers. But if these two are able to play at this kind of A-level game, that mix of the ball hawk in the back end with the, the you know, constant pressure in the face of a quarterback, that's going to take you some places. And it showed you that, like, this defense is more capable than it's been the past few weeks. It's because of those two. Real of the game, as always, got to make sure we get this category put out. This is an MCU superhero villain. They're trying to do the right thing, but inevitably they didn't. Um, I'll lead off with this. I'll just go ahead and pluck the low-hanging fruit. Uh, Gardner Minshew did not play well. Um, for large, like largely for the offense, um, not a great game in general. Their lowest yardage of the yardage totals of the season. Uh, but Gardner Minshew, um, there, there was uh, a third down play where he he left a clean pocket and uh, ran to the right and got himself into a dirty situation where you've got Brian Burns bearing down. He tried to change direction, perhaps, uh, and fell down and eventually flung the ball out of bounds. It didn't turn into a sack or anything. Just not, not a good play. Um, 17 of 26 for 127 yards. That's 4.9 yards per attempt. For those of you scoring at home, that is not explosive. They did not have a 20-yard pass play on the day. That is not ideal. Um, and this is another game that we're going to keep coming back to this, I think. We're just going to, like, we just we should just thread this through the whole thing. But this is a game where Gardner Minshew should have been good because after, after the early part of the game, basically all the Panthers did was run these, you know, heavy five-man, five-defensive line, uh, two linebacker fronts that we saw in Jacksonville and basically dared Gardner Minshew to beat them and it didn't happen. So it's, they, they get the win today. Uh, if teams are smart enough to just continue to do this, the Colts have some answers they need to figure out. And it's because it's, it's because their quarterback can't take advantage of what's being given to him. Yeah. I'm going to just double up on that one because I had, um, my other guy should just be an unsung villain. I don't think it's fair to – I mean, this is a game they won by two touchdowns, and the only thing that was giving any doubt to that, I thought, was the play of the Colts quarterback and, by extension, the passing game. But, I mean, you have to acknowledge some of what they were up against. They, you know, Josh Downs came in with a banged-up knee, left early after one target. Drew Ogletree got banged up, you know – He's a backup quarterback, but he's got at some point, you know, throw them out of that the, some of those fronts. And this is not, this is not a great defense they were facing. This was not a bad weather game. They're just like at some point, there's got to be a little bit more uh, operation out of that quarterback spot. And I feel like they're just in the spot right now where they have to decide whether they're going to either be aggressive and take shots and live with turnovers or they're going to scale it back 
protect the ball and just really not move the ball much. Um, and that's just, just kind of unfortunate indictment of the quarterback. Look, he's a backup. We keep saying this every week. It's like it's not it, – the problem is the position he plays has such a – such a role in win and lose, winning and losing sometimes. And today they were able to win kind of in spite of it. But uh, in general, they just – you can't um, – they're going to have to do something different for this model to work because it only really worked because they got two pick sixes. So really, like, I guess I could – I guess mine kind of extends the entire passing game. There just weren't really guys that were – when they did get the ball in their hands, just doing something electric. Again, they don't – you're losing players and they don't have the right quarterback to operate it. So it's all, everyone's kind of been getting in their own way right now, but the, the passing game does have to be a lot better than, and really it's been ever since Anthony Richardson got hurt. So uh, that, that to me was kind of the one reason that they were at times. That's why I felt like any more, both pick sixes came at crucial moments because I think without them, it might've put more pressure on that passing game. And, uh, and I don't know if they were equipped to do it today. Yeah, he's down to 6.7 yards per attempt for the season. Um, that's not great. No. That's not going to that's not going to do anything. What did so that brings us to unsung hero of the game, unsung hero. I'll let you take unsung hero to start. Um, I think there's there's a lot of candidates here, so I'm curious to see where you go. Yeah, there are a few different candidates here. Uh think of where I want to exactly go with this. I think I'm going to go with Michael Pittman Jr. Um, is the one exception to that passing game. I don't know that how they would have had any passing game without him. So he got targeted eight times and caught all eight at 64 yards. He had one play where he took it, you know, converted a first down in the red zone, took it all the way down to like the, uh, you know, down to like the two-yard line. I'm trying to remember what happened on that play. I, I guess I don't know if that was a screen play or not. But he was – you know, outside of Michael Pittman Jr., they had five passes they completed to Jonathan Taylor, so those were sort of like advantage plays almost, or at least checkdowns and advantage plays. They weren't so much covered routes. Outside of him, though, uh, I believe they had 42 yards from every other pass catcher combined. Uh, so when we talk about guys going down, it was hard to see downs go down in Ogletree. You want, you, know, you want those guys to be out there, but I don't know what they do if Michael Pittman goes down and uh, – you know, it was a day where like he was, he was just enough to kind of convert some plays, uh, and and get a few things going because even like the run game for the Colts didn't work either. They averaged two point six yards a carry. They had a long of thirteen, so the whole offensive operation it's just a really hard day. So I think the one guy that to me that you can't really look at and say like you know this was just a, a bad offensive game for him was Michael Pittman. Um. Unsung hero for me, I'm going to go with Matt Gay. He is now, this is maybe I'm expanding this a little too much and making it a season award, <laughs> but he is now 16 of 18 and I believe six of seven from 50 yards or more. And his one miss from 60 yards or more involved Miles Garrett jumping over a person and then immediately bouncing back up to make the, the block. So, He's missed one kick. Uh, they signed him for a lot of money. It seems like it was worth it. I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. We, we're, we're fully halfway into the season now, and Matt Gay looks like he was ever every bit worth every bit of the money they paid him. 
Well, specific to today, he had a 57-yard field goal. So that's really, really long. And then he also had a tackle on a kickoff where like, it was a I, good return for the for the Panthers, and he kind of just got in the way, but it got him on the ground. I I didn't want to give him – he's had a better tackle this season. He's yeah, had a he more has. legit tackle this season. This one – this one, I'm I'm just gonna be honest. This one, this one was a little bit. This one looked a little more kickerish, if we're being honest. A little bit less athletic. A little bit more like, you know, he went kind of went flying back and on it. The 57 yard field goal obviously deserves credit for, um, but just just listen. I, I want to give Matt Gay credit for being a, an athlete. He played soccer for a long time. He has made legit tackles this season. E this this maybe this maybe wasn't his best effort. This was like Johnny on the spot. He just right place, right time. It's just everything's going his way right now. Even when, even his like that's like his bad play. It still had like a positive result. Not not everything is going his way because and this is this is an amusing aside. Um, but he he went as a Viking for Halloween and uh, got some tattoos from Amazon, like temporary ones, to put on. And I guess I don't. I guess I didn't see him up close enough today to know if they're still on there. Um, but he uh, he was still had them like on Friday. <laughs> he couldn't get them off. Yeah. So neck tattoos uh, and a sleeve, an entire arm sleeve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I bring that up because mostly because it, it allows you guys to chuckle a little bit, but but also because it's an important thing to know. Maybe maybe don't buy temporary tattoos from amazon definitely don't put them on your children because uh, <laughs> your kids probably want that temporary tattoo to be if they're like mine want the temporary ones to be uh permanent ones anyway and this will give that the ones he had will definitely give them the opportunity <laughs> so let's go to unsung villain you you saw it sounded like you had one dialed up yeah um i'm gonna give it to isaiah mckenzie the fumble he had on the punt uh, was was pretty rough. It, it was right at midfield, and it was like right after the uh, you know Colts were kind of it was teams were kind of trading three and outs early in the game, and that was the first what felt like a momentum changing play. Now it didn't end up biting them in that moment, so props to the defense, but it could have, and uh, and that could have had them chasing some points. And just in general, you know, I'm not sure he's really done you know his other returns he had three returns for 10 for 11 yards on punts and you know you also just kind of felt the absence of josh downs today uh when he had to go out with a knee injury um isaiah mckenzie had two catches for 12 yards again you know our villain of the game plays a role in that but the thing about it is garner Minshew's had a very steady rapport with josh downs so far that's actually been the one steadiest connection he has since they worked together on the second team and josh downs if you look at his season's actually gotten better interestingly enough since gardner took over they just their skill sets match up very well because josh downs is this sort of short uh you know this smaller catch radius but he's like a you know ball placement outside the numbers can let him sort of just run good routes catch the ball and go and Isaiah McKenzie has the same exact build as Josh Downs, but we're just kind of seeing why, you know, these guys came in in sort of a 1A, 1B battle to start training camp. And just Josh Downs is just clearly a clear step better. And um, that's one where if Josh Downs has to miss beyond this week, 
with that knee, if he has to miss in the trip to Germany, I'm a little bit more nervous about it. So Isaiah McKenzie to me is a guy that he's a veteran. He's I think the oldest receiver they have. It's him or Pittman. I think I think Isaiah's just barely older, but like he's it's gonna be kind of on him to step up a little bit if Downs is out and like today was not not his best game. Well, I, I said this, I know I said this when when they first signed him. Um he was given every chance last year in Buffalo in a good offense to be the slot receiver, and he could not hold on to it. They had to sign Cole Beasley late. Um, so it was unrealistic to expect him to be a difference maker in the slot, probably even when they signed him. Uh, the, he's also not really a return man. Yeah. I mean, he can do it. He can catch punts and kicks. He's not going to do a lot with them. Uh, he So far, he has seven catches for 51 yards on the season. That's 7.3 yards per catch. Uh, just for context, both Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor uh, as running backs are averaging more yards per catch than Isaiah McKenzie. Um, punt return-wise, he does have a long of 32. He's at 9.1, but he has the muff today. Kickoff returns, he's only returned three. It was for ni- there for 19 yards apiece. He's just he's not really a return man. If you go look at his numbers, I'm not going to call him up right now. But if you guys go look at his return numbers over the course of his career, he's not he's not a primary return man. Um, yeah, it it just just it's it played up today. Um, it's played it's played a role in other other games when he's with some decisions and stuff he's made. Um, unsung villain for me, the run defense was terrible. Um. Just to put this in perspective, the Carolina Panthers have had uh, more than 138 yards rushing that they had today just once this season. It was in the season opener. They had 154 yards in that game. Um, Since then, they've only broken 100 yards twice. They were coming off a 44-yard performance against the Texans. Uh, Today, it didn't really matter who was getting the ball. Miles Sanders did look better than he pretty much has all season. Um, but they, yeah, they had 28 carries, 138 yards, 4.9 per carry. Three different rushers had a run over 10 yards. Not great. Not great at all. Now, Zaire Franklin was out. Um, Grover Stewart is obviously still out. But, yeah, that's that's not good. Um, and because Grover Stewart is not going to be back for at least four games. No, and one thing I'm noticing is that this defense is just they're susceptible to running quarterbacks. And Bryce Young today, five carries for 41 yards. We saw what Taysom Hill did last week. Of course, that's a little different, but it is like quarterback draw type plays. We saw Lamar Jackson scored a touchdown and had 100 yard, 100 plus yards. He does that to a lot, but just going back to Jalen Hurts last year, it's just kind of a, a an ongoing theme. And so I think when you mix a running quarterback with just the success that some the teams have had the past two weeks running up at the replacement for Grover Stewart uh, does it is a little concerning, and that's where that's like those drives where the Panthers were moving. They scored one touchdown drive, and then those other two that ended in pick sixes. I thought like they were getting it going with the run game. They just couldn't build off in the pass game. So um, that's where like DeForest and Kenny Moore. That's where they they kind of earned that that status as the heroes of the game because they had to overcome some of these issues in run defense that allowed the Panthers to kind of pretty – I thought the Panthers moved the ball quite a bit better than the Colts did because 
of the vast difference in, in how the teams to the two teams ran the ball. Number of the day, I'm going to steal this one. I'm stealing this one from uh, Greg Allman, who, who works for Fox Sports. Uh, the number is 198. That is the number the Colts num Colts yards of total offense. It is their fewest of the season by a full 82 yards. Uh, but but the more important piece of this is before today, teams that had less than 200 yards were one in 36 since December of 2021. They are now two and 36 because the Colts won. Wow, that uh, that that really that alone makes the case for our two heroes of the game. Uh, yeah. That's that's kind of crazy. Um, I'm going to build off that a little bit because it's related to the offense. But uh, my number, I guess it's right. My number is one out of 70. And that is the ratio of pass plays the past two weeks that have gone for 20 yards or more. They've had 70 dropbacks and one of them has gone for 20 yards or more. That was a 33 yarder. This is sort of a two week number of the game. But last week against the Saints, Drew Ogletree had the 33-yard touchdown. That's the only attempt in 70 passes that has gone 20 yards or more. So that kind of sums up where this passing game is right now. It's the least explosive thing you'll ever see uh, the past two weeks. And that's kind of the push and pull they're in where if they're going to get the turnovers down for the eight they had in that two-week stretch before that when they did have explosive plays, they're kind of giving up those explosive plays in order to protect the ball and today kind of looked like that all the way through. Game day observation. We're in the fun parts here. Uh, mine is just for a team with not that much history. I mean, just in terms of like just years. Panthers haven't been around that long. Just an incredible, incredible vintage jersey game from the Carolina stands today. Uh, Kevin Green, Tim Biakmatuka, uh, Deshaun Foster, um, Kelvin Benjamin, uh, Jake, Jake DeLome. DeLome, Jake DeLome, Kerry Collins. I mean, like just, just an un. I think I saw a Mike Minter, like just an unreal array of former Panthers jerseys in the stands. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I love, I love, love, love the idea of wearing a jersey of a former great, but not, not one of the obvious ones. If I was a fan, this is what I would do. Um, so, uh, love it when teams do that. Carolina was on point. Yeah, I, I love the vintage jersey game, especially since like this franchise hasn't been around that long. And that was like an excuse that I gave to the Ravens when they had a very bad jersey game. Is that the you know the new Ravens uh, since they moved there were not as but you know they've been around just as long as these Panthers have been. And the vintage jersey game today was was very on point. Um, I'm gonna go with the. Uh, I'm just uh, I enjoy that the Panthers mascot is Sir Purr, and I enjoy the little like cat. I guess I don't. What do we call it? Like a growl that basically that they do all the time at the uh, <laughs> like before third downs and whatnot. Like I I don't know. It's just it's a cool little gimmick there to like to to, to play off Sir Purr. Are you going to demonstrate it for the listeners who are not at the game? Oh. Uh, I'm not going to demonstrate it, but... Um, oh, man. Please tweet at Nadak and then tell him he should be demonstrating the growl. 
I don't have to. I, have to the, I need to practice the growl. We have opposing opinions on this. I don't like it. <laughs> I just, I kind of a sucker for those like stadium gimmicks on third down. I just have always found that just like a funny football thing that <laughs> people get into. Was... And I don't know. Surfer is just frankly ridiculous. And so it made me laugh. <laughs> the, the... The real, the real villain of the of the game is Nate for not doing the the cat growl. All right, I'll work on it and try it in a future pod. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll do it when uh, when the, when the Colts and Panthers meet back up in the Super Bowl this year. I will have that growl down. Yeah, see, that's being facetious, and now you're just now you're just teasing people. <laughs> uh, three football things that gave me joy. Um, man, I had these teed up the other i had this, these teed up earlier another this is the first impressions pod this is what happens my brain starts to not work because it's late um uh one of them uh just the uh, we've i've done this one before but it happened again today so i like it just the idea of a first first sack first interception um, you know, Saguna Lobi was saying that he, the they are the, the Colts equipment staff has already secured the football. It's already on its way. It was already, you know, being packed up and on its way back. Um, I I, I love that first stuff. And and Buckner was telling me, you know, it's just a relief. It's like a it's like a once that happens, it's like a okay, I do belong here type of thing. Uh, there were a lot of them today. First sack for half well half a sack for Eric Johnson. Officially, Quiddy Pay got half a sack and ended his his string of no of non-sacks um but eric johnson uh at tommy Adabare, and then saguna lobi with his first nfl interception yeah good moments for those guys uh especially like some of those we've wondered you know like at a, a time of while we want to kind of what he's been up to and it's like the, the rookies when they get their first their first flash under the sea like they'll always remember that i remember like favorite was last year when Jelani Woods had the touchdown to beat the Chiefs. Like that's a moment that I've gone and talked with him about looking back on it. And um they'll just remember that forever. So it's just kind of cool when they get that uh that first that first one. Um I'm gonna go with one that's I guess kind of a mix between the game day observation and the football thing, but on Kenny Moore's second pick six, and I was like, he he returned that all the way, and then he goes and like all of a sudden there's a section of the stadium that's chanting Kenny and they're in Carolina and you're wondering how this is possible because he's not from there either. Really. He's from Georgia, but it's like his, his hometown's like four hours away, but he had uh, three sisters there as well as a niece and his sister's best friend. And they just kind of made this thing happen where he gets his second pick and then while they're doing this Kenny chant, he's, uh, you know, he's doing this sort of dance I used to see him do a lot more in 2021 when he would get picks. And we never saw it last year because he didn't get a pick. And it's sort of like if you if you go watch the video, uh, it's, it's almost like it's choreographed between the chants and the, the way that he's uh, that he's kind of like running in place. And it just to me kind of summed up the return to the old Kenny. Uh, so that's kind of what I wrote about my story. But it was like a rare moment where you can just sort of have a crowd celebration in a road environment like that, uh, which kind of sums up kind of what 
Like Kenny didn't have a lot of moments like that last year and got one this year. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, number two for me, Jonathan Taylor, somehow keeping his knee off the ground on his touchdown. Uh, this never gets old for me. Uh, guys do this in the NFL all the time. They do it in college too, where they are right next to the ground. Their knee is right next to the ground. They somehow avoid the thing touching and dive from their four yards. I, I just, the body control is crazy to me. It's crazy that they can keep their knee off the ground. I, I love every time you look at, every time you think like, oh, this player might be down. And then as soon as you see one replay, it's like, oh no, there, there's absolutely no chance he was down. It, he didn't, like it didn't touch at all. It's It's crazy to me. The way the power that these guys have in their body to to lunge forward like that and keep their their knees off the ground in situations where they're taking blows like Taylor was on that play. And that was acrobatic. And I'm going to go with an acrobatic play from Michael Pittman Jr. He had this jump ball catch that was for maybe um, maybe it was his 16 yarder. It was one of those first down catches, but it was on a free play. They had gotten the Panthers to jump and. Garner just kind of threw it up, and we see it like the way that he kind of just threw it. I just didn't – you wouldn't think that that it would have a chance to be completed, but that's sort of Pittman. Sometimes he's a, he's a ball getter, and I feel like he hasn't gotten enough of those situations timed up the right way this season. But that one he did and was able to high point it, and I just – sometimes you just wonder how a player has the dimensions that he has and the the kind of the strength of the hands and the body to come down with it. So – it was good to see some of that vintage Pittman that we saw a lot more when he played with Carson Wentz in 2021. Uh, number three football thing that ended up giving me joy um, was uh, Moelle Cox and Adetani Ad- Ad- Adabare with some some big man special teams plays. We this this is a deep cut in the podcast, but I have made uh, I have made a case before that at some point there's going to be a 280 pound gunner in the NFL, 290 pound gunner in the NFL. They're going to get that fast, and uh, didn't quite have that today. But Adabare ended up getting a tackle on a kickoff return, and he had to like he had to chase. Um, it was remarkably athletic for someone his size. Um, it was it was on the forty six yard kick return by Blackshear. Adabara had to make the had to make the tackle, and then Ali Cox, who's not a small person himself, he's obviously very tall and very big, um, but but running down on a punt and teaming with with Luke Rhodes for a pretty pretty righteous hit. Um, Love it, love it. We are we're getting closer, guys. That's that's my takeaway from this today. We are getting closer to the full time, two hundred and ninety pound gunner, just wrecking things in punt games. Uh, if that two hundred ninety pound gunner was DeForest Buckner, I think it could operate like a normal gunner because that's kind of like what Buckner does. So, um, if they ever want to talk him into being a gunner, I think it would work just like a lot of other teams. So I think you are right if they can ever get that to work. I don't think that's what the Colts are going to use him for, but uh, they could. Um, I'm going to go. What you need is a what you need is a a Buckner sized player who is not as talented as Buckner. 
Yeah, but it sort of defeats the whole thing. Like, no, no, no. Like, he, he's got to be like free, physically freakish, but not able to put it all together. Like, he ends up being a backup. And so then uh, you can they need like a. Here's an idea. Maybe when they're over in Germany, they can scout and find a guy who doesn't like know American football quite yet. And they can make that his early role as he transitions. So he's got like Buckner ability, but he doesn't like have the football sense yet. And they can groom him first as a gunner who then later destroys the middle of pockets. And he'll always have the story about how he was a gunner. That could work. Um, my, I guess my last football thing that gave me joy was just a play where Dio got a sack where I felt like Bryce Young was just going to kind of reverse course, scrambling back and forth within the same condensed pocket until somebody hit him. Uh, very rookie type of play. I don't know what it, the plan was there because sometimes you see guys hold the ball on they like a, you know, Justin Fields or someone who can kind of like scramble across the field or you know, it was just like he was just all stuck within the, the, the tackle box the entire time. and just was kind of pinballing until eventually he was going to spin himself into somebody. And he spun himself into Dio and Dio would take the sack because that's, uh, you know, it's got to pay off for, for all of that. And then one bonus one I'll throw in there because I kind of just remembered it was uh, Quiddy Pay saying that uh, he had a complaint about the pick sixes. He did not like how far he had to run to celebrate with the team because Kenny <laughs> ran too fast and too far. <laughs> um, very tongue in cheek saying that, but he, he did bring up like, that's the worst part of that play is you're like, dang it. I got to run really far to celebrate this one. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, too much credit, too little credit. We'll start with too much credit. Um, I'm going to go with the Colts defense as a whole. I think it's easy to look at this game. The fact that they, you know, they held a team to 13. They scored two defensive touchdowns and think, you know, defense got on track. The defense had a great game. They're kind of, they're fixed. Really today it was about two players in the perfect tandem of rushing cover together who just suffocated a rookie quarterback of a pretty bad offense. It's nice to see that. And I do think that there, there's some part of that model of those two players when they're full go that, that does carry over. But it isn't like – it just didn't strike me as sort of like the full, you know, team effort defense we've seen at times. Like I thought more like when they beat the Ravens, they had that. This was more like two superstar players who in some ways overcame some things that were not great from the rest of the defense, namely that run defense giving up almost five yards of carry and 138 yards. And even some of the plays in coverage, I thought, you know, there were more guys open that Bryce Young didn't necessarily see or have time to see. I still think the outside corner spot is problematic, uh, you know, until they get Juju Brents back. So, uh, and then I also think that there will, you know, Zaire Franklin, his absence was felt today, certainly in that run defense, but I think it'll be felt in other ways, leadership wise. So if you get these two, you know, it's like two superhumans kind of overcame a defense that I still think has has some major flaws that haven't been fixed yet. So um, I wouldn't uh, 
I just wouldn't go crazy with with a game like this against the Panthers when it was built so much on the play of two guys. Yeah, too too much credit for me. That's a really good one. Just kind of taking the whole defense. Um, yeah, make sure job harder. Um, too much credit, man. I'm having trouble coming up with something that's that good as the defense. Um. I I don't know if I can improve on that. I because I don't think anyone's giving the offense a lot of credit today. <laughs> I mean, it feels like whenever the team wins, they give the quarterback some credit. So <laughs> no one know. was doing that. I didn't see anybody. <laughs> we, doing we've done that before, but I do think that has that has stopped being uh, being the thought yeah, process. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's doing that today. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just going with the defense in general and maybe the secondary in general, um, you know, they gave up the, the big touch, the, the big long play to, to Hayden Hurst, um, just kind of, well, that's what I'll do. I'll go with the secondary kind of pulling it down, non Kenny Moore division, obviously. Um, they, they gave up the 48 yarder, terrible coverage bust when they didn't need to at third, when they were third and 11 for a 48 yard run, a 48 yard throw. Uh, and also, I just thought like a lot of the a lot of Bryce Young's mistakes were caused by him not being able to handle the pressure from the interior. Um, yeah, I, I think that in general, just the the secondary probably didn't have as good a day as it seemed. Uh, too little credit. Too little credit for me. I'm going to throw a Jonathan Taylor out there. Uh, he didn't do a lot after the first part of the game, but he's pretty darn good in the first part of the game. He had one run. It might have been the 13-yarder. That it really did not look like there was a hole at all. And he somehow he somehow got a first down and a lot more out of it. Also, the, the touchdown play, a 10-yard little screen, like it looked like it might be there. I thought he might could get to the end zone when, when he first caught it. Um, and, you know, just, just him him getting into the end zone. Uh, for for what ended up being the Colts' only offensive touchdown, not not a lot, not got not great efficiency numbers today. Only two point six per carry, four point four per catch. The four point four per catch is is bad for him. He's at eight point seven for the year. Um, but I, I just thought the numbers didn't show what he did in the first quarter. There, they held him in check after that, but he kind of got the offense off to a good start, gave them a lead. Um, so too little credit for me, Jonathan Taylor. I think JT is also fair to point just to point out that like when out defense builds a game plan, stop a player, it kind of says something about him. So the fact that the Colts didn't take advantage of that in the other ways, I don't think should diminish from the fact that Taylor's kind of doing the thing that really would help a pat for a passing game, which is that they devote so many resources into the box and up front and, and make some of those uh, downfield windows open up. Uh, for two little credit, I'm going to go with Quiddy Pay. I just saw a number of rushes I really liked out of him. Graded is an easier matchup, too, for him. Uh, Ike Kwanu is really struggling, and um, just the protection in general is not the strength of the Panthers. But, like, he, he got half a sack on the 
on an early play with Eric Johnson, but he really destroyed that pocket. And uh, I just thought that, like, he's, you know, I've been talking to him about how he's, he builds his rushes throughout a game and sort of fits this plan that is sort of fitting within uh, the rest of their rush plan, uh, just this, the four-man rush plan that they have. Eventually, we want to see more out of him, more production, higher pressure rate, higher sacks. But you know, I thought today was a step in the right direction of, I just have a feeling when we go look at it, there's um, there's a little bit more in terms of bringing consistent pressure around. And I think the way they muddled that pocket, too, is is some of what forced some of the Bryce mistakes. I know in the first pick six, Kenny Moore said that he really was just timing up his jump with the moment where the, the pocket collapsed and made Bryce quickly look to the check down. And if you look at that play, Quidipe was, I think, pretty close in on that play, too. So, um you know, a pretty good game from him in a way that uh, that maybe didn't jump out as much as some other players. That brings us to the last ones, the, the overarching takes, one to throw away, one to go on. We always start in this one with one to throw away. That's the point of it. It's to throw away. We want to end with the pot. We want to end the pot with what one that you want to, to go with. We'll start with one to throw away. Uh, my take to throw away is this defense is not fixed. <laughs> not necessarily materially. Um it, they they got the big plays today. This is a bad Panthers offense. Bryce Young was very bad today. They're not going to play teams with that kind of pass protection uh, every week. I, I still think there are issues there, particularly in the secondary. It looks like there are issues there in the run game, even today, with Grover Stewart not there. I, I just it, it was a good game for the Colts defense, especially considering how how they played against Cleveland and against New Orleans. Uh, it was good for them to kind of arrest that that fall for a little bit, but I, I don't know that they're going to um, that the, we're suddenly going to be talking about them as a difference making defense. Yeah, defense is a really good one because that's kind of fits what everything else we've said, said in these categories. Uh, so to give a just slightly different one, this is I guess a little defeating to somewhat else I said, but I feel like. This is a game where it's easy to look at the tight ends and see they had one catch, and that's not good. And they didn't necessarily play well, but I'm going to give them a pass for this game because Kylan Granson was his first game back uh, for missing two for a brain injury, and he just we'll have to look at the snap counts. It didn't seem like he played as much in this one, and then Drew Ogletree got hurt, got his foot hurt, and, and left the game. And he's been a guy that they've really built the rollout for, so. Those two losses with the fact that they still don't have Jelani Woods and then they were they had one other tight end active for this game, just sort of the it was a, just a very weird game for the numbers, the players that they made available and the fact that they were kind of compromised on health. I just, you know, I, I they need to see more out of that, but it just seems like health has driven a lot of the at least there's a there's a health excuse for a lot of those guys or pretty much they're all going through it uh, in some level. And um, so. We'll, we'll at least let them kind of recover before I, you know, I say that they don't have any tight ends to throw to. That leaves us with one to one to go on. One that one thing that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the season. It's going to keep coming up. I'm going to go with this playing time conversation, role conversation with Shaquille Leonard. Uh, so today he came out. And they don't have Zaire Franklin, so he was starting the game. He ended up as their leading tackler, but when it came to third downs, 
they were still taking him off the field, leaving Saguna Luby in it at Mike with EJ Speed on the field. Um, so the Zaire Franklin injury did not change any of that. Uh, I think mostly it's because you know Shaq's not trained as a Mike, but it just shows that like his role is pretty right now kind of stagnant. Um, the, the Colts coaches did say that they wanted to give him till November to get to a full year out of the second back surgery. They thought that would get him more to a place where he could have a little bit more of a role. Uh, he said this week he doesn't believe that's going to change. I think that had, now that we see what happened in this game, I think that was very much related to the plan they came up with to manage Zaire Franklin's absence. I think the only thing that's probably going to really change it uh, outside of Shaq making these plays and forcing their hand would be something with EJ Speed. If he goes down, I think that's, you know, that I think it's kind of obvious that you would play Shaq more in those third down plays because you're just kind of, uh, it's not more anymore about the mic. It's just you're, you're in a numbers game, but mostly it's just kind of, there's, they're in a catch 22 here. It, it's still going on this way where uh, the coaches say that Shaq doesn't make enough splash plays. To be in on third down, Shaq's been saying, you know, he's not in on enough third downs to make those splash plays. And I don't know what exactly is going to solve that yet until one side just decides, you know, and unless the coaches just decide to reverse the course of how they're playing these guys. And and they they haven't done that yet. Um, I guess there's still there's there's still time in November, but it just based on Shaq's comments uh, last week, he doesn't seem to think it's going to change. So I think it's at least going to be something that we're going to continue to talk about and continue to write about and ask him about and ask coaches about. I think it'll be a storyline when we talk to Gus Bradley this week. So that's one that I think, even though it's we are now technically to November, I thought today actually without Zaire Franklin out there was a sign that that this is kind of an ongoing thing. My one to go on is we're going to be talking about this front that teams have been using um, against the Colts running game and daring Gardner Minshew to throw. I think that's the blueprint from here on out. Uh, and I think every week until the offense starts proving that they can do something against it, for specifically that Gardner Minshew can start doing something against it, um, I think we're going to be talking about it. It's It's the underlying thing. They've done a good job. The yardage numbers for the Colts are actually really, were actually really, really good up until today. Um, you know, week, week over week over week. But we've also seen the other other version of this in Jacksonville, where they they throw for three hundred plus yards, but also Minshew gets picked off three times and fumbled another one, um, and they have the turnover thing. So I think I think that's the the underlying piece of this. If Kenny Moore doesn't have the game he has, if DeForest Buckner doesn't have the game he has, I think there was a real chance that they could end. And if Bryce Young doesn't play terribly, I think there was a real chance the Colts could have lost this game where the offense played. Um, it's one of the things that gives me pause going forward in terms of predicting the Colts to get back in the playoff race. It's a bad schedule, but they've they've clearly got to get something figured out offensively uh, against that specific game plan because teams teams would be crazy not to do it over and over again from here on out. Yeah, the very next game they're going to play is against Bill Belichick, and that's the all-time master of game planners and you know, a guy that will famously just do the thing you can't handle over and over and over again and, and get in your head that way. And last year we saw you know, what his game plan did to take advantage of the spot they were in at that time with 
Sam Ellinger in, you know, in place of Matt Ryan and, you know, it led to a coach firing. So it, it is a tenuous spot this week, even though, you know, the, the Patriots are not a very good team, but I do expect them to take advantage of that and make the Colts find some answers. So it's kind of right back to priority number one for Shane Steichen and Jim Bob Cooter to find out some way to get around this five-man front issue that oddly the Browns didn't want to do that because they just, you know, the week after Jacksonville, because I think they just thought that they'd run the way they normally run and it'd be good enough. Um, I don't think the Saints did it that much, but it's back this week. It became the way to stop them in the second half and it worked again. So two times in four weeks, teams have tried it and had a lot of success. And uh, the Colts have kind of told us that things, you know, they, they expect that to be the blueprint other teams are going to use. So I think we'll see that starting next week in Germany. That's it for the Colts cover two podcast, the first impressions edition. Uh, we will be back from Charlotte for a little bit <laughs> and then headed out on our flights to Germany. Um, we'll have another podcast midweek, probably before we leave, we'll have something from the game next week. Uh, and we'll have plenty of stories at IndyStar.com, including the ones we, we talked about. They should be up by the time you're listening to this. For the Indy Star, I'm Joel Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.